Hey, I'm Dara O'Connell, and you're listening to Inside Position. Sacrifices. You gotta make sacrifices for your team. To answer your question. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Inside Position with me, Tom Halpin. Today's guest is Irish Jiu Jitsu legend Dara O'Connell. Dara is someone who has a really interesting story in the sport becoming a head coach after just four years of training and having to juggle his responsibilities with that along with his own competition ambitions. We had a great chat about how he improved so much in his early days of training, how his experiences have been in coaching multiple world champions and ADCC medalists and also much more. I hope you all enjoyed the chat. So here we go with Dara O'Connell. Hi Dara, thanks for coming on the show. No worries Tom, thanks for having me. I wanted to start off with I think the first time I met you, actually, the Monster Open 2011, my first ever jiu-jitsu competition, and I had made it to the final. So I think I was 17 at the time. I made it to the final, and it was against your student, Marcus. And obviously, at the time, jiu-jitsu in Ireland wasn't very high-tech. So I went over, looked at the brackets on the wall, and I saw Marcus Phelan and then me, and under his name was O'Connell BJJ. So I was thinking... All the other gyms had big fancy names, Alliance, BJJ Revolution, all this. And I was thinking, O'Connell, BJJ, this one is in the bag. (laughs) And I lost. Marcus beat me on ref's decision. But I guess I wanted to know, how did O'Connell, BJJ come about? And how come the name didn't stick? So when I got the gym off Dave Jones, we were initially called Next Generation BJJ. And that was until like about halfway through 2010 or the start of 2011 and there was like a brief phase in between where we hadn't come up with a name and I feel like Marcus just made that shit up himself to be honest because I always felt weird about having my own name as the gym right I was always like who am I like I feel like now maybe you might have a bit of a confidence to call it your own name but back then I was like man I'm just some purple belt like 2011 maybe I just got my brown belt so I was like I can't be calling it my own name but Marcus obviously needed to put something down for the tournament so he obviously just went for O'Connell BJJ and I don't know, shame it didn't, uh, shame it didn't stick, but uh, maybe it's a good, maybe it was a good thing, uh, gave, gave you a bit of false confidence. Yeah, and it was actually the English spelling as well, which looking back on it was kind of, I'd not say sure. he definitely just threw it down, not really. That's classic Marcus, doesn't even, doesn't even know how to spell my name. Like. But how was it having your own gym back then? You were young at the time and like yeah. even now I'm kind of going through the process of wanting to start my own and I still don't feel ready. You know, it kind of got thrust upon you a little bit. How was that experience, I guess? I feel like that was the main thing really was that it was just put upon me like it wasn't something that I ever thought about or you know it just was completely circumstantial I had started training at that point I'd been training three years three and a half years maybe close to four I knew it was my new favorite thing to do and I'm the type of person once I start doing something I just go all in on it so I was training a lot was like just going to every class which is like four classes a week or something you know so I was doing it a lot and I feel like very quickly I was the most de- uh, dedicated person there. It was just as simple as that when when Dave decided he didn't want to be teaching anymore, it was either going to be me or there probably wasn't really anybody else and if I didn't do it, so if I didn't decide to to be the teacher, probably the gym would have just disappeared. So it all was very natural process really. Like I I wasn't too comfortable with it at the start. I was just kind of like, uh I know I'm much younger than everybody else. Will they listen to me? Do you know, like, is there anyone willing to listen to me? But I think because Dave put his trust in me to do it, they all trusted me because he put me in the position, I suppose. But man, it was all very, very natural. You know, it was never something that 
I never started off thinking I'm going to be a teacher or I'm going to have a gym or anything like that. It was just very, very natural progression. And I think that almost helped me because I never felt any pressure to be successful with it, you know? Yeah, it seems nearly like it would be a help that you wouldn't overthink it. It's good to get it out of the way young, I'd say. Bro, what helped a lot too was we already had like 10 or 15 people. So what I think now when someone is starting off a gym is, first of all, the expenses of you have to find somewhere, you have to have mats, you know, that's an investment in and of itself. We already had somewhere. We already had mats. We already have 10 or 15 people that when they pay their membership, we don't lose any money. So everything was just completely even. I, I didn't have to like find somewhere. I didn't have to find people. Like I always think now, oh, if I started from scratch, what the first day there's just nobody do you know what I mean you just go you just go to your gym and you just wait for one person to show up and then one turns to two turns to three like we already had 10 or 15 so there was already a bit of an environment an atmosphere etc some people knew what they were doing so like I was very that like you said it took all the pressure off you know there was there was all the bills were covered there was already a couple people we already had mats it wasn't a big change or a big investment for me it was just okay I'll continue this on and the worst that'll happen is it'll just stay exactly the same. And, you know, I think especially now I've seen a lot of people, even in my time, try to take jujitsu as their career or, you know, oh, I want to do this or I want to do that. And I think sometimes there's too much expectation for themselves or too much pressure to do all these different things that I guess, luckily for me, I never had. It was just always very natural progression, little bit by little bit by little bit. And I think sometimes people, they want to jump too fast to, oh, I want to have this big academy with all these students and I want to win all these tournaments. And there's just so many things to try to achieve. Whereas each thing for me was just like so incremental, you know, it was never, it was never a big grand, grandiose plan, you know? One thing I actually remember when I was maybe a white or a blue belt, I don't know if I heard you actually say it or if it was in an interview or something, but you were saying your main goal was just, I just want to do jiu-jitsu every day. And that kind of stuck with me. And I think when you have that kind of attitude, it's probably a lot easier to just develop it naturally and just do it for the passion instead of putting too much maybe pressure on yourself or something. I don't know. That's it, man. I was actually only just talking today. I'm in Brazil at the moment, as you know, maybe other people don't know, but I'm here training and uh, I can do competitions here. So I was talking to a guy today in the gym who is a brand belt, literally in exactly the same type of situation like we're talking about. He's like, oh, I've been... I've been training for a while now, you know, I've been trying to make jujitsu work as my career and it's really hard to make money and, you know, all these types of things. And I said exactly what, what you just said. I was like, man, the main thing that you should want to do is just do this every single day, you know, like that even if you stop being full-time athlete, inverted commas, if you just want to get a normal job, you should still want to just come and train every single day. You know, your, your main thing should be like, I always say that too. If I, if I didn't want to have a gym anymore, you better believe I'm going to go to a gym every single day and train. Like my favorite thing to do for the last longest time in my life is train every day. I don't, I, I don't know anything else more fun. So I think as long as that's the focus is that you just, you love turning up, you love training, learning, and just as a natural part of that, you enjoy passing it on to other people. Like, I think that should always be just your main thing. I think when you jump too far ahead to all these other things, it just, I don't know. It just, it seems like I've seen it go wrong more often than I, I've seen it go right. And I never really thought about anything else other than I want to be able to train every day. And if that means I have to teach the class, I'll teach the class so that I can do it. If it means I don't have to teach the class, I'll just train somewhere else. So, yeah, I think if as long as you don't lose sight of just enjoying training every single day, then and man, I think you're very good at doing that, too. You know, like 
some people get very hung up on, I have to train a hundred times a day because I'm jujitsu athlete. It's like, no, man, train whatever amount makes you happy to go the next day and enjoy training the next day. And I think you're very comfortable with yourself, how much or how little you want to do. You just, you do what makes you happy. And I think that's what's brought you your success is you're not insecure. You know, you, you know, okay, this is as much as I want to do and I don't want to do anymore. And I'm totally comfortable with that. And it means tomorrow I'm going to want to do more. And it means the next day I'm going to want to do more. And, you know, I think sometimes people just get these big insecure plans of like, oh, you know, some people's personality is they have to fucking do a million sessions. Like I have some students and man, they're just full of energy. And if they don't do a hundred sessions a day, they, they can't go sleep, you know, but I think everyone needs to find, you know, that balance for them where you want to go the next day, you know, that you want to go the day after you're not waking up in the morning, like, fuck, I really don't want to go today. You know, it's like, that shouldn't be the, shouldn't be the way it is. Right. And I think I learned that the hard way as well. Obviously traveling to a lot of different gyms, that was probably one of the best things that I did when I was lower belt, traveling to all the different gyms, even around Ireland, around Europe and going over to America every summer as well. But I kind of saw that it's not really a one size fits all kind of thing. And you just have to gradually make it for yourself. And as well, I just, I want to train every day so much that I hate getting injured. Like I hate getting injured. Yeah. I kind of wanted to know as well, what was the scene like back then? Because when I started, you were already a brown belt, I think. So yeah. I can't imagine. And I mean, there wasn't really much going around. I remember the first time I saw Baron Bolo was probably at that competition as well. Another great Irish competitor, Joey Breslin, was doing this what I described as a leg spinny thing and he was pulling people onto their hip and basically if you can imagine just doing a barrel roll around someone's shin and coming on top and I thought it was amazing and I was trying to figure it out at the gym I'd never seen it I was like what is this we were doing it and I was like I think that's it I can see it in my head now it was the most atrocious attempt at a barren ball I'd ever seen <laughs> but I can't imagine even years before that like how were ye? how did you get so good is kind of what I want to know like how were you able to compete at a good level and even get to brown belt level when to be honest there wasn't really much in the country at all i feel like the best thing that i did especially back in that day the first online website that came out was marcelo garcia the mg in action and man i was just obsessed with marcelo garcia i just thought he was the fucking i mean he is the man like but back then especially he was the only person that i watched where it made sense to me what he was doing you know like even if I didn't necessarily understand, I was like, yeah, like I get, I get what he's doing there. You know, like his movements make sense. It just clicked with me and I just studied him from the very start. And I, man, I used to listen to podcasts. I used to read forums. I used to do all these things and just looking up as much as I could about him. And eventually I heard a podcast in 2009 of him explaining, oh, you know, cause I bought DVDs and videos and it, nothing was ever really that good. You know, like nothing ever really gave you the information you wanted or nothing ever was really as explained as well as you wanted it to be. And then I remember I heard this podcast with him in 2009 and he was like, yeah, we're making this website, you know, and it's going to like have all my techniques and film all my footage. And it's based off chess, you know, like we're going to, because Josh Waitzkin is his student. He's like a famous chess player, I guess. And he structured it like how people learn chess with like opening moves, like middle game moves end game moves, everything broken down you could watch all of the training footage and let's say you're looking at an X-guard sweep. You can watch all the instructionals and then you can click another section where you could loop the clips of him sparring. And that was the biggest thing for me was watching him in the sparring hit the same move over and over. You know, a little bit of a different setup here and there. 
but like real life training. And I just got obsessed with that. And I would just literally watch MG in action all day. And I even told my students, I was like, look, Marcelo is the best middleweight in the world. I'm the same size as this guy. I'm just some random purple belt who's been thrust into teaching. I don't know anything. This guy knows. Does anybody want to argue with what this guy knows? He's literally the person that knows. So let's just copy him. I'm going to teach you what I'm learning off of him. And lucky for me, he had system. Like now everybody knows about systems. You know, oh, you need to have your system for this position, system for that position. And I think at that time in jiu-jitsu, it wasn't like that. It was just lots of random moves here and there. Oh, here's a guard pass. Here's a submission. Here's, you know, every class we would just do something completely random and different. There was no systems basically to anything, but Marcelo had systems to everything. And it was the first time I was like, okay, you get the single X. When you have single X, you do these sweeps. When you can't do it, you move to full X. Okay, from butterfly, you do this. From taking the back with the seatbelt, you do this. He was the first person for me to put everything into a little mini system. And I think that's kind of what helped us. We already as a team had, whether we knew it or not, we just had this game plan ready to go. Okay, we're gonna pull guard, we're gonna get to single X, we're gonna go from single X to full X. When we sweep, we come on top, we're gonna go to the knee cut, from the knee cut, blah, blah, blah. You know, we already had a, a system in place. And I think that's what gave us the edge over a lot of teams in Ireland straight away was we had this kind of plan in place whether we knew it or not. And then I guess the next evolution from that was I then realized, okay, not everybody can play this style. Like this style is for a very specific body type. There's some positions that are universal that everyone can do, but man, Marcus has big long legs. He can't sit in butterfly guard. You know, it's, it's not, it's not possible. Oh, someone else is too short. You know, they can't do this certain type of position. So it was from there that I was like, okay, we need to build the systems for each different person in a different way, but using the same uh, structured approach. They have this position and from here, here's the options. And I really think that was the main thing that kind of got us to a, a better level faster was we were using the systems of someone else. Like we didn't come up with it, but luckily for me, the person that I decided to follow had already built all these things into systems, had made an online site. And man, this stuff was so far ahead of its time. Like now every jiu-jitsu black belt has a, has a website with their system and whatever. Man, this is 2009. Like this is so, so long ago. Like I think maybe two years later, AOJ Online maybe started, but this was the first first one. And I just went so deep on it. Like I was watching that stuff for hours and hours. I couldn't get enough of it. I would just watch it, go and drill the stuff. And just, I think that was kind of the main thing that started. And then when I went to the competition, I used to be so nervous in competition, but this just gave me a certainty of, okay, there's nothing to be nervous about. I'm just going to go and try and do these moves. I know, like before it was like, I know, I know a Dars. Hopefully I can get into a situation where I can do a Dars. Whereas now it was like, okay, I'm going to pull guard. When I pull guard, I'm going to get to this position. When I get to this position, I'm going to do this. That's going to lead me to this position. And it just became a logical set of steps. There was no, oh, this is a fight and I have to be tough. And, you know, like it was nothing like that. It just gave me like a, a set of steps. And I feel like that really is what gave, gave us the head start or, you know, like put us in that position quite soon. It was the same for me because I used to use MG in action a lot when I was like a lower belt, especially, and I still use it in odd time. It was, as you said, it kind of made jiu-jitsu a bit more simple. Like it didn't seem as complicated when Marcelo was doing it. Yeah. It was obviously very deep. Like he could, 
guillotine you from anywhere and had a lot of different ways to finish it a lot of different ways to set it up but it was still just a guillotine instead of as you said a lot of different scattered moves but it's funny that even 10 13 years later i still think no website has even come close really to mg in action i've tried them all and none of them are even close the the inaction section was the best like before training if i was having a cup of tea or a coffee i would just go quick 10 minutes and watch him do 50 north south jokes bro it's the best like and i agree man I've, I've seen all the sides i've seen every single one and a lot of people are very good at teaching and they they show the positions well but that feature where you can just watch the live training because i think once you understand the move you know you can only watch someone teach a move so many times it's like okay i i know the details but then it becomes seeing them man i swear to god like i would be able to watch him do it over and over like in the sparring and then I would go to training and I would just be able to hit the stuff because I've seen it so many times. You've just watched it over and over and over. It's just in a subconscious loop in your head and you can just make yourself do those. Because I believe so much in that. Like, And that's why, I don't know, there's only so much competition footage of each athlete. And it's like you can only watch them do the live competition matches so much. Whereas with MG in Action Man, there was hundreds of hundreds of clips of him hitting the same, just little differences, you know, or... A little bit of a different setup, a little bit of a different entry or whatever. But yeah, but for me, that it's still the best. And that was the best. I don't know why other... I guess it takes so much effort to film every role and then have someone separate out the footage and know what they're looking at. Like, But man, so, so useful, you know? And I guess people at the time probably didn't want to show their game too much. So it kind of showed the confidence that Marcelo had at the time to... Just be like, look, I don't really, you already know what he's going to do. It's the same as like when Danaher brought out all the leg lock stuff. It's like, we're already so far ahead with this stuff. We already have been doing it for ages. We can show you because you're not going to catch up. By the time you've caught up, we've already progressed ahead to other things. So it's a, yeah, it's just an ultimate confidence in, yeah, I've been doing this shit for years. I can show you because by the time you you learn it, it's going to be too late, you know? You played relatively high level of rugby. Did that translate at all into the jiu-jitsu and training? Sometimes I feel jiu-jitsu, there's a big contrast, let's say, between wrestling and jiu-jitsu in how it's trained. Wrestling is much more trained like a sport, whereas jiu-jitsu would be trained, sometimes it'd be very lackadaisical, not much of a focus on athleticism. Were you able to translate some of the ideas from the rugby and being competitive and stuff into training? I feel like there was aspects of it that benefited me. So like... I was strong, you know, from playing rugby. So when you come into doing jiu-jitsu, being strong is useful. I was an athlete who's used to trying to win, you know, like you see a lot of jiu-jitsu students who just don't have that when they start off, they can build it in them. But I already was strong, athletic, fit. I had a competitive edge where I didn't want to, you know, I had a perception of myself as being strong. So I don't want to lose, you know, I think, or I already thought I'm supposed to be good at fighting, you know, like I'm, I'm big, strong guy. I should be good, good at fighting. Why, why wouldn't I be? So I feel like those were the only two things. Because man, honestly, I feel like I learned. I'd probably be better at playing rugby now, having studied jiu-jitsu than when I played rugby. Because jiu-jitsu just puts such a problem-solving mentality on you that I just played rugby since I was young and I didn't really think about it too much, you know. Whereas now, how I w- would think about it if I was to play again. I would be trying to work out all the different situations I would get myself into. I would know how to work on, okay, this is my weakness. This is my strength. This is a situation I'm getting into all the time. How can I approach it differently? Whereas then it was just kind of like, oh, you just go to the training and 
you just do whatever the coach tells you. I, I didn't have the same. And now that I think about it too, I went to I, I played rugby alongside a guy called Felix Jones the whole way through school. And this guy became a professional rugby player. He played for Ireland. He eventually hurt his neck and he had to stop. And then he became a coach. And he actually was the first Irish person to win a Rugby World Cup gold medal. He was the assistant coach of South Africa who just won the Rugby World Cup, right? Insane. Crazy, man. I was I played alongside this guy the whole time. And what I now realize about him when we were in school was he had the problem-solving attitude then that I didn't have. And that was actually the difference between him taking it that step further than me. He would always be watching games, be watching his position, seeing what the people were doing. He would always be trying to figure out more. He would always be the one trying to figure everything out. And that was kind of, I think, what I lacked at the time. But I feel like I've learned that now through doing doing jiu-jitsu. But um, I feel like I would definitely be better if I went back now to play than, than then. Yeah, a lot of the sports that I played when I was younger in Ireland, there was a big attitude of, I don't know if it's an Irish thing or what, but it was very much like you're either talented or you're not. It's nearly like being a professional or being good at something was for other people. That's kind of the opposite to the approach of I'm going to try and get a little bit better every day and then I'll do it. Obviously, talent exists, but even the people who are talented, if you're not trying to improve, it's going to be tough to be at a professional level. So that's one thing that I wish I kind of got a bit earlier because sometimes playing different sports, obviously I played rugby as well, but my main position was the bench. So, <laughs> so we won't talk about that too much. But yeah, there was definitely an attitude of not so much, oh, just go and try and do better. It was, it was more like, look, you're either talented or you're not. The structure of school sports in Ireland, there's a lot of pressure on being successful. So the, the coaches want the team to win. So like you said, the talent is pushed to the front and it's like, all we care about is winning. We don't care about making the people who aren't as good better. Let's just use the people who are already good as best we can and try to make the most out of that. Hopefully we win because all that matters is that we win. There was no emphasis on, like what you just said, a gradual improvement or how can we get every player to understand how to play the game better, which is what I do so much as a jiu-jitsu coach now, is I try to get everyone of every level, whether you're hobbyist, white belt or blue belt, to understand their own game and how to play their game and how to recognize their own mistakes you know that i don't need to be there the whole time like that they learn to become problem solvers and learn to put it together themselves so yeah i feel like school sports there's so much emphasis on winning it's like okay the talent is here so let's focus on them and just put all our effort to them and then whoever's not very good well tough luck just be on the bench and we don't really care you know i saw a video the other day actually and i think it was of an mma fight you did i don't remember you ever being dara the mma fighter so that was obviously very early days i did my first fight after one year of training and barely even doing striking yeah man it was it was crazy and it seemed like professional rules as well there was no safety in mind with that like back in the day no i did two pro fights pretty close together after about a year year and a half of training i lost both very close to winning both as well like which i would have been like fuck i'm so sick of mma i'm i'm an mma fighter guy and i would have continued down that path and because i lost it made me be like fuck i suck at all of these disciplines i need to just focus on one and the only one that I really find fun is jujitsu. So losing was actually the fucking probably the best two things that happened to me. And then also, man, I'm, I'm very glad I did it. Like it was mind blowing experience. And I don't think I would do it now. Like it's so fucking crazy, like to do MMA fights. So I'm glad that I did it. It almost feels like it wasn't me that did it. Yeah. Did you ever do it? You never did a fight MMA league or anything? No, I've done the MMA league when I was 
maybe 17 or 18 i've okay. been training for like three months so obviously the mma league in ireland there's no punches to the head but i just guillotined two guys really quick and i don't think i even got kicked or punched or anything same like the combat you did so you just you can do a few slaps but you didn't even do any really yeah exactly and i think it was actually under 60 kilos that i did that'll show you how small i was i think that's one of the big things that benefited me when i started out like i was 17 when i started training but i may as well have been 14 like i was really small so i had no stri- so i only could use technique my experience with students too a lot of my best students marcus you talked about already sam uh, richie a lot of them started the same type of age between 14 and 17 and same thing small small skinny kid no chance but to use and how to learn to play guard and use use technique over over strength and yeah i feel like also that age too is key when you're early to late teens you're deciding for yourself that you want to do something for the first time you know like when you're really young when i played rugby i just went because my parents brought me you know it's not that i didn't enjoy it but like you didn't even know what was going on you know like you just got brought to all these sports eventually you excel at one better than the others so they keep bringing you to that one and then before you know it, you're fucking 15 or 16 and you just do it because you do it. Whereas you guys all started and same with me when I quit playing rugby, I was a bit older. I was 19. But when I quit playing rugby, it was the first time I actually decided for myself, okay, this is something I'm going to do for me. And this is something I'm curious about. And I feel like that makes the world of a difference, you know, big, big difference. When did you feel like you started to believe in yourself a bit more with competition and especially competing over in America. I know that's like, for me, that was a big thing, testing my skills over there. There's the divisions are 10 times the amount of people in each division. And then you kind of get a more accurate depiction of your skills, especially for you. I think the first time most people got to know you, let's say maybe outside of Ireland or even some people in Ireland was doing the BJJ Kumite, which looking back on it is one of the most amazing competitions ever. There's so many world champions from that. So many ADCC competitors and medalists. How was that experience? And how did you even get on the event? I think those two questions all link together because when you're talking about when did I start to believe in myself more, I went in 2012, the summer. So I met uh, Lovato, Rafael Lovato Jr. through training with Saolo and Shanji. So 2010 and 11, I went for three months in the summertime to train with Saolo and Shanji. And then being there, I met Lovato. So in 2012, I was like, okay, instead of going to San Diego, I'm going to go to Oklahoma and train with him. Because I feel like at the time he, I mean, he still is, but he was younger than them. He kind of was like more inverted commas, modern jujitsu versus kind of the more traditional style. So uh, I was like, okay, I'll go to Oklahoma. And he was the first person that I met who talked about more than just doing moves. You know, he, he would talk about mentality and mindset and Man, all these things that, you know, are just a given nowadays, but I'd never, I'd never even thought of, oh, you need to believe in yourself or you need to, you know, have some self-confidence or you need to visualize what you're going to do, or you need to see yourself winning before you ever win, or you need to have a plan of, if I want to be world champion, I need to be able to win this to then win this to, you know, just stuff that seems so damn basic now. He actually, he recommended a book that he's read a lot. It's quite a classic book. It's called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. It's like nearly every self-help book. I don't say the same type of things, but being there was the first time I learned about you need to set yourself a target of what you want to achieve. You need to make steps to get there. And then you need to be able to visualize every day, seeing yourself already having done it, you know, like 
feel what it feels like to have done it feel having that metal already around your neck and you know all these concepts that are nowadays i think are very well established in jiu-jitsu and everyone knows about so he was kind of the first guy that put this into my head and from being there i was like okay i'm gonna try to win nogi europeans that was like a realistic goal for me it was like i know it's not worlds it's not as hard as worlds but it's hard and that's what i'm gonna do so i I made my plan. I was like, okay, I'm going to focus on this. So in 2012, then after the summer, they did the first Nogi Europeans in London and I won. I made a plan for it. I was like, I'm going to fucking win this shit. Focused on it, went, won. And I was like, oh my God, I fucking can't believe it. If you actually believe in yourself, it works, you know, like crazy. And because I won that tournament, now I had like a major title, like a, a European, a world, a pan, whatever. And then Lloyd Irvin started posting about Oh, because Keenan had won the double gold purple belt at every single belt. Everyone knew about this guy. Lloyd Irvin started posting about, oh, who could beat Keenan? Who's going to fight against Keenan? There was a couple super fights that were supposed to happen that fell through. He was supposed to fight Felipe Pena, and then he was supposed to fight Jackson Souza, and then they fell through. So then it became, okay, let's open it up to anyone. Like, who out there is good and is a brand belt and wants to enter this thing? So I was like, okay, I might as well just go on Facebook, send Lloyd Irvin a message at least I have a European title to say, like, I'm kind of good, you know, like, can I have a go? And I, I, I just sent the message thinking nothing of it, really. The next day, I got a message back. Yeah, you're in. Just let me know what day you're going to arrive. And I was literally like, oh, my God, I, I can't. Because at the time, man, it's hard to explain how Lloyd Irvin was so huge at the time, you know, like his team are doing. So, I mean, his team are still doing very good. But I don't know, just that that specific time period with Keenan, no one had ever really seen professionalism like that and it was just so there was so much hype around it and then to see like that i got in i remember messaging all the guys i was like they they said yeah i'm i'm gonna go this is crazy and it all just kind of spiraled from there and it was a good time because i had just learned about some belief in myself about knowing what game i want to do when i go to fight and blah 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 and then i even got the extra blessing of it wasn't a points tournament it was going to be an it suddenly got flipped into okay, you go until you tap. And my defense has always been a lot better than my attack. Back then, heel hooks weren't as much of a thing. So like heel hooks were a problem for me for a while, but it's hard to choke me. It's hard to fuck to put me away. Like if it was points, man, I probably would have just lost to the first guy. If it was a knockout tournament, I would have just lost and then see you later. But instead, I don't know, this weird format allowed me to kind of show a different part of my jiu-jitsu that I might not have got to show. And man, the show was so huge. Like bro, nearly 10 years later, People, they still talk to me about it. I'm here in Brazil right now. People, they still say it to me. Absolutely insane. It's one of the best things I ever did. And I learned so much about myself. And yeah, it was just that situation all in one year of going to Lovato's, learning about mentality and believing in yourself and visualization, these types of things, using that to win something. And then that win being something that pushed me into being able to get into the fucking tournament was, yeah, very special. And did you know about the format before you went? Because I think nowadays you probably wouldn't be able to do that. Like everyone is so concerned about their reputation and all these kind of things. I don't even know how many matches he had in the space of a week. You were doing back to back, no no time limit. Yeah, it was six every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then the finals were on the Friday. Six matches every day. Yeah, you fought the same guy, Guy, then no Guy, and then... So you did three people, so six matches every single day. Some of the matches were like two minutes and some were like hours long. Absolutely insane. So yeah, 24 matches. I think I actually only did 22 because I didn't get to fight AJ Agazarm because he got hurt. A lot of us did at least 20 
And then when you consider that at least 10 of those matches were 20 minutes plus, some between 20 and an hour, man, the adrenaline of competition, the adrenaline of being on the show, the adrenaline of being filmed, it was absolutely insane. Like, yeah, and I don't think you can ever, I don't think you can ever do it again. It was such a special uh, thing, you know? And how was it getting a feel off the other lads that you were competing against? Because obviously they were about as high level as you could get at the time, minus the black belt level. You got wins as well over Gary Tone and, and Sean Roberts. So that must have been pretty nice going home, realizing, oh, I'm actually, I'm not that bad at this uh, jiu-jitsu stuff. I think I got the best middle of the road experience of everyone. Because there was people who were below me that like lost nearly every single fight. That would have been just fucking crushing, like to just lose every. There was one day where I lost all my matches. I lost to Luke Costello twice. I lost to Keenan twice, and I lost to AJ Souza twice. And man, you've competed your whole life too, so you know when you get tapped in a tournament, it fucking sucks. So to get tapped, fight again, get tapped, fight again, get tapped, fight again, get tapped, and six times in one day get submitted, and you have to give up. It's like. It wasn't the referee didn't screw you. It wasn't all points or some stupid thing or, oh, I was about to win and I ran out of time. It's like, no, I gave up six times today and I had no way out. And I remember fucking calling my parents at that evening and just being like, man, I don't, I was so upset, you know, I was like, I don't know if I want to go back there tomorrow and fight again. And they were just like, no, 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 they encouraged me and told me to go back. And then the next day I tapped Gary and I tapped, Sean. So I went from like the worst fucking day of my life to one of the best days of my life or best performances of my life. I lost to a lot of the guys who, you know, if I look back on it now, I, I wasn't even in a position to beat, you know, like Keenan was so far ahead of everyone. Like there was just no way, unless I just suddenly had got him into a guillotine, there was no positions really that, and I, I had gotten to train with him before the week before. So I was just like, man, there were some people who were just too far ahead or a level above me, but I got to beat a bunch of good people and get confidence. And then I also got to lose to a bunch of the good people too, but realize, okay, these guys are, that's the top, top level. If I can just close that gap, I'll be fine. And yeah, man, it was like this amazing experience. You know, I feel like with a lot of them, it either absolutely broke people and just made them never want to compete again, or it gave a lot of us the confidence to go and do even better things in our career. So no matter how good someone is, they're not that much better than you. They're not absolutely unbeatable, you know. And I'm sure you'll agree too. Whenever you've fought top, top level of person who you might idolize in some way, like you fought ADCC and, you know, when you fight these top level guys, it's always after that you're like, fuck, he wasn't actually as good as I thought he was going to be, you know. Like I fought a bunch of high level people like that where I started off the match good and then my thoughts got the better of me and then you end up losing. And then after I'm like, fuck like i had my chances you know I, I i if i didn't just put them on a pedestal I, I i realize they're just human you know like if i do what i'm supposed to do i could beat anybody you know yeah it's funny thinking in the space of a few months you can go from saying i would do anything just to be able to even compete at adcc and then a few months later absolutely heartbroken that you're not on the podium and it's the most honest feedback you know it's so easy to not be honest with yourself in the training or okay you have a hard round with someone the next round you can just pick someone that you can easily beat but in the tournament when you fight someone hard and they beat you you got to sit there and contemplate you know you got to think i need to think about what happened there because i don't get to go again you know i whereas in training when you have a hard one the next one you can just pick someone where you can feel better about yourself so competition is just it's the best feedback you know 
And there's no better feeling as well than winning like a really difficult tournament, especially a big bracket. I don't know what it's, it feels a lot better than the super fights for some reason to win like a big full bracket. No feeling has ever come close to it for me anyway. I think especially like for you with the ADCC trials, the ADCC trials, you have to be so prepared for such a multitude of styles. Like when you do a super fight, I can study this guy. I know he's going to do this and this and this, and you're completely prepared for this one specific way of fighting. Whereas at the ADCC trials, man, you got to fight a guy who's going to be crazy Luda Livre guy. You got to fight a guy who's a wrestler. You got to fight a guy who's an IBJJF jiu-jitsu type guy. You got to fight a guy who you don't even know and you know nothing about him at all and who fucking knows what he's going to be like. You got to fight a guy who's just going to score and then stall. You know, it, there's so many different types. And to make it through that bracket, I feel is like the ultimate test of your jiu-jitsu is ready for anything. You know, like you're able to fight against anybody with any style and then you came out on the top. You were able to beat all these different these different styles. And man, of course, what fucking feels better than you beat four or five guys in a row? So, so sick. It's actually something that not worries me, but it will be on my mind sometimes is transitioning from an athlete to a coach. Obviously, I have a good few years left ahead of me, but I was wondering how you have that role as a coach and a lot of people rely on you as a coach. And how are you finding the transition? Because I'd be worried sometimes that it wouldn't be the same buzz and would I, you know, feel the same passion for it? The only thing with that is like for me, it kind of was always part of my career. I was always coaching and fighting at the same time. And I was the same like I was saying earlier on, I was talking to a guy at the gym today and I was explaining to him that I made a difficult choice early on in my career of right around that time of the Kumite. I was like, okay, I can tell I'm good. And if I want to push further, should I just leave the gym and go to America and just train, you know? And this was something I struggled with so much for so long. Like, should I be selfish and just move to America and just train? No, no, no. The, like the boys, I can't leave. I can't leave the boys. I, we've already such a good bond. And if I leave, will they keep training? You know, will that alter the course of all their lives? And I made the conscious decision. I'm going to just keep doing both at the same time. I can't just leave. I don't want to stop the work I'm doing. I, I care too much about the people that I'm helping. So I actually made the conscious decision early of I'm going to compete and I'm going to train at the same time. Now, it got a lot harder as my career developed and my team got bigger and the guys got better and you have more people competing at the bigger events and all this type of thing. But man, I think Tom, because you have so much passion for jujitsu, when you start to coach and you start to see somebody else achieving things, man, it's the greatest. Like it's, it's just as good as winning it yourself. Like, honestly, I've gotten the same fucking buzz out of the guys winning stuff as winning stuff myself. And it's almost even crazier because you're just sitting there. You're just sitting in a chair. You're just standing on the side of the mat. And then all of a sudden you're just like, you get that same feeling as when you won yourself. So, and you know what it takes to do that. So when you see someone else do it that you care about and you see and develop their entire life around jujitsu, man, I don't think you got to worry about will you feel the same passion for it. Like it is harder to balance. Like, you know, you're going to go to events where people are going to be fighting and you have to put your effort to them. And then all of a sudden you have to suddenly switch modes and be concentrating on yourself. And man, that is difficult, but I don't know. I feel like jujitsu, the natural progression is you have to start becoming a coach. You know, there's no, if you want to live from it, like it's really the only, it's the only way to go. So I don't think you'll have, man, I, I can just as easily see you being so stoked for someone else as being for yourself. Like 
how I've seen you react when you win yourself, man, you're going to feel that for other people for sure. It's the greatest, man. It's the greatest thing. Yeah, I was probably exaggerating a bit saying I'm worried about that, but it's more just that I love being an athlete so much. How do you feel like thinking back on some of your biggest wins in competition and then thinking back on some of your biggest coaching moments and how do those compare? I'd say most people have seen the photos or the videos of Fionn submitting Bia at ADCC. Seeing Dara in the corner, you'd think that Dara was after <laughs> tapping out Bia or tapping out Bouchesha or someone like, I've, I've, I've rarely seen you that excited. And then obviously I've seen you at the Nogi Europeans at Black Belt when you won there. Yeah. And that was very like exciting day and emotional as well. So you obviously have a lot of other big wins, but those would be two where I've seen you lose my mind <laughs> how did those two compare they're probably similar and different as well i would say the actual feeling was very similar it's like you simultaneously can and can't believe what just happened it's like i can believe it because this is what i've worked my whole life towards but i also can't because what the fuck <laughs> like my thoughts have turned into a reality and this moment right now is the fucking sum of so much work and thoughts and man it's the it's i would wish that feeling for every jiu-jitsu athlete you know experience that one thing that you really really wanted and you were able to do it and for me those two things like you said those two were man that the, it makes me so excited now even to just talk about them or think about them because I just get that feeling back every single time that I think about it. The ADCC was incredible for a bunch of reasons because one, man, I've watched ADCC since I started doing jiu-jitsu. You know, you watch this tournament. It's the absolute pinnacle of grappling. And, you know, I, like I said, I always loved Marcelo. And one of my favorite images of Marcelo was when he won 2007 and he runs to Fabio Gurgel and like jumps on top of him. And I was just like, man, it just seems so genuine, such a genuine moment, you know, like so, so, so nice. And a big crowd there and you know it just seemed so cool and then all of a sudden i've found myself in a position where i'm sitting in the fucking chair on the side of the mat it's the biggest adcc ever there's man you were there thousands have you ever seen a jiu-jitsu tournament like that thousands of people in the crowd everyone knows what's going on such a small amount of mats so it gets the attention it deserves when something happens everyone's like ah crazy and then man she's fighting you know the the most famous girl of all time for me it's like it's like Eddie Bravo and Hoyler Gracie, you know? It's like the fucking most famous person who doesn't ever lose. And then I wouldn't say Fiona's is as much of an underdog as Eddie Bravo was at the time. But, you know, like someone that people think they know what's going to happen. And, man, she'd lost to her twice. And I knew if she got it right, it was going to work. And she worked so much on some positions, escaping the closed guard and getting her mind right for that type of match. And all of a sudden, it's just all happening in front of you. She opens the guard. Oh, my God, fuck, she's on top. She's opened the guard. She She's got the underhook, man. If Fionn gets the underhook on anybody, it's over. Like, it's literally over. It's like, I, can't, I just literally stand up out of my chair. I'm like, I cannot fucking believe it. And then she just gets closer and closer and closer. It's crazy. Everyone's screaming. She gets up and screams. I fucking look around. There's just like thousands of people standing up screaming. You're just like, oh, my life. You know what I mean? Like, it's just unbelievable, man. Absolutely unbelievable. Like, it was such a dramatic finish as well. It was about as dramatic a finish as you could see that day it's etched in my mind forever you know like unbelievable and it's just the same when i won nogi europeans too was man it's just the culmination of so much thought and so much effort and you know so much work that it's just unbelievable i can't like i've never felt anything like those feelings in my life it doesn't matter what i've done ecstasy is the most insane thing and you just I don't even know what I do. I just scream and lose my fucking mind. It's just amazing. And 
it brings so much fulfillment too, you know, like I think that's something as well. I, I wish for a lot of jujitsu people is it seems like a lot of people find it very hard to be satisfied and comfortable with what they've done. They, they always want something more. Oh, I want this, but you know, I want to do this or I want this. For, whereas for me, like both of those moments, man, they, they brought me so much fulfillment. Like it was such a release of, holy shit, I actually just achieved that. If I never did anything else again in my life, I'm fucking so happy with my life, you know, like, and obviously, man, I have so many other goals and I, I don't mean it in that way, but you know, it just gave me such a release of if they never let me compete again, or if they never did anything, I'm completely content with my career. Uh, I got to fucking win a major title in the black belt. I got to be a coach at the fucking biggest tournament there is and have a student be the fucking legend. And I got to see her go from a purple belt with no confidence to a black belt with just all the confidence in the world once she's on the mat it's just man it's so so fulfilling on both ends as the athlete and as the coach and obviously i have more aspirations and there's other things i want to do but it really brought me i feel like that's part of the ecstasy of it is it just brings you so much fulfillment you know just like if nothing else happens i'm so content with what i've achieved you know speaking of those same types of feelings i don't think i ever seen you react like how when you won the adcc trials like I, you had the exact same experience there you know like i don't think i don't think i ever saw you lose it like how you lost it there and man i was watching the stream i remember i messaged you straight away i was just like yes because i want that feeling for everybody it's fucking so amazing and to see you go there and do it in front of my eyes i'm watching it on the fucking thing it's just man amazing and like so happy you got to experience that for yourself you know the only way i could describe it really is like a religious experience almost the absolute floodgates just completely open and everything i was crying so much oh i was so hyped i guess that's why drugs are so popular these days is because people <laughs> just need to need to flood their system with all those chemicals but i definitely my my brain was just like here just have everything i hope that other people in ireland especially man are not in a how do i say not in a big-headed way but man i feel like my work inspired you and Marcus and Sam and, you know, a generation behind me. And I hope that your work is inspiring fucking other people behind us that we don't even know about yet. And they're going to be like, yeah, I saw Tom Halpin fucking doing this and that. And like how you say to me, oh, when I saw you do this, it made me want to do it. And then some guy is going to come to you and say, fuck Tom, when I saw you do this, it made me be like, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it better, you know? And I just hope that there's other people behind you that are inspired to do the same thing those little things are important to kind of just show that it's not it's not as big a deal as people think you just work hard and you'd be grand yeah man and both me and you came from situations where if you actually saw our training situation you think we were joking most of the time you know if someone's watching this and they think oh like i don't have that many good people to train with or i don't have this and that it's like man it doesn't matter you know if you think about it in the right way and you make the right steps you can do it in any fucking situation you know just get yourself a subscription to mg in action <laughs> and that's the that's the secret <laughs> big thanks to dara for coming on the show it always stands out to me how much passion dara has for the sport so it's always great to have a chance to sit down and talk all things jiu-jitsu with him we've both been recently announced as well as squad members for the upcoming polaris squads on july 17th so if anyone would like to check out our matches at that event you can catch it on ufc fight pass and i think there's still a few tickets remaining as well for the live event itself i myself am also planning a two-week seminar tour after polaris so for the last two weeks of july i'll be traveling around the uk if anyone listening if you're a coach or if you would like your coach to have me over to teach a seminar you can get in contact with me on Instagram at Tom Halpin BJJ. 
just shoot me a message and we can organize it. I'm really looking forward to get to train with everyone over there and put on a great performance for everyone as well. As usual, if you enjoyed today's show, share it with your friends, give us a positive rating and review, and stay tuned for next week's episode. Until then, Slánagas Bánacht!